0: Sports are really important vehicles for relationships. We have purpose. We have a why. We bring people together. We connect. I feel like God is our greatest
1: supporter and our greatest coach. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sideline. This is Rabbi Eric Sherman from Sinai Temple. This week we are joined by Andy Hill. UCLA Bruin, 1970 to 1972, president of CBS Productions and author of this amazing book, Be Quick, But Don't Hurry, written by Andy Hill and the legend, Coach John Wooden. Andy, it's so great to have you. Thanks for joining us this morning.
0: Wonderful to be with you. I'm a uh, Sinai Temple Bar Mitzvah alumni, 1963, (laughs) long before you were born.
1: We're going to go downstairs after and make sure you chant your Haftarah as well. But we have lots of sports and faith to chat together about. And I read this book uh, many months ago. Be quick, but don't hurry. An amazing, amazing story about the reconnection with your coach and his pyramid of success. But it really took on a different meaning, especially this week with anti-Semitism in the world and specifically um, within the basketball world of Kyrie Irving in the NBA. And when you have the title of "Be quick, but don't hurry." It seems like a lot of us are very quick and hurry a lot to make sure we put out that tweet that's probably going to irk people the wrong way. So take that title and maybe put it into context of what's happening in the world of
0: sports today. Well, obviously, Rabbi, what's happening with Kyrie is very, very serious. And, uh, you know, I I, I am somewhat puzzled that... uh, the league has had so little response. The players have had virtually no response. Uh, I, I was pleased. I wrote to two journalists right when this happened. I mean, when you see, say, be quick, don't hurry, this was clear, Rabbi. This was not a close call. This was not a judgment call. This was clear and terrifying to me. I grew up at Sinai Temple in the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. I was taught that this is something to be deeply afraid of. And so I wrote to two journalists. I, 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 one, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a Muslim, mm-hmm. who wrote a fantastic column. And yes. was the first one, really the second one to do so, about Kyrie. And the other one, who I won't name, was a Jewish journalist who I never heard back from. Mm-hmm. The commissioner of the NBA is Adam Silver, who I greatly admire, a mm-hmm. Jew. Why is it okay to be this critical of uh, people who say things that are racist or homophobic, but somehow anti-Semitism, which, by the way, we have historical proof of the devastating impact, Yes, Rabbi, the devastating impact millions of our fellow Jews perished. So actually, when you ask, be quick, but don't hurry, that was something I actually responded to relatively quickly. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm 72 years old. So my version of relatively quickly is within 24 hours. And I think that part of what you're speaking to is the instant notion of response. So you don't really think about it, just just send it out. Mm -hmm. And of course, the deeply questionable oh well it doesn't really mean i support it just because i sent it out which is just nonsense Uh, and Kyrie deserves to be suspended in my opinion and uh you know the lack of league action i just i don't understand but yes i think that the hurry of contemporary life does lead people to make mistakes and press and send before they give it a second thought
1: So actually, I was just on the show Inside the NBA with Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley. As you saw, Charles Barkley called for his suspension. And uh, Ernie Johnson said, yes, when you put something on social media and you are quick to do that, then you have promoted something. But what your coach, Coach John Wooden, speaks about are two words, and it's love and balance. I want to share this uh, video of Coach Wooden speaking uh, many years ago. And he talks about what balance means and how we can find that love along with balance.
0: Balance. Physical, mental, moral. That is important. I think in life there's two important words. Maybe we only need the one, and that's love, of course. That's the most important. If we all truly had it the way we should have it, there'd be no need for anything else. But we don't. So I say love and balance.
1: What would John Wooden say today with love and balance and what's happening right now?
0: You know, Rabbi, I think about that a lot. And, and, and I wish I, I knew, I, I think it would be deeply upsetting to him to see how we've been torn apart in this way. He was certainly someone who spent his life bringing people together. And, uh, you, you know, a, a, as, I'll share it with you. I've said it to many people. Uh, There's nothing better than a good Christian. They're just hard to find. And John Wooden was a really good Christian.
1: And so, this pyramid of success that most athletes know, when you look at this, there are words like self control, initiative, cooperation, friendship, industriousness. When I really looked at it, I circled what's on the top of the page right here, and it's faith and in parentheses through prayer. What role does faith have in what we're seeing right now? But really, take us back to this pyramid of success and what role did faith have in your journey to ucla during ucla when you had i don't want to say challenges but you know not necessarily, not necessarily the bill walton career and then faith leading to the amazing career you had at cbs
0: wow what do we have like about four hours for this uh, you... oh, yeah it's like yom kippur we're here all that day is, really i do I, i'm gonna have to fast i don't have any <laughs> food with me uh you know, it's been an interesting journey, honestly, from my bar mitzvah in 1963 to today. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I played basketball in Israel for eight or nine months after I graduated, and, uh, you know, have kids who've been bar mitzvah and grandchildren who've been bar mitzvah now and bat mitzvah. Uh, and, and, and certainly, I think it was a stabilizing force for me for many, many years. But honestly, Rabbi, I'm deeply saddened by the fact that when I sit back at 72 and look at the world, mm-hmm. religion seems to actually be what's tearing us apart. Mm. That's why my earlier comment, there's nothing better than a good Christian. They're just difficult to find. How do you wrap your mind around, you know, Christianity supporting a man like our former president? How do you wrap your mind around that? Well, what would Jesus say about him? I mean, we, we've turned so much of our, our, and of course, you know, and you know this, and I don't want to get into a deep dive on it, but unfortunately, you know, our views on Israel have pitted now Jews against each other.
1: Yes, yes.
0: And it it, it, it breaks my heart. I mean, you know, I, I know for a fact, because I lived in Israel, I thought about moving to Israel, and, you know, and my dream of Israel was not the direction that it's moving in today, but I've had fellow Jews say to me, well, I, I'm, an, I'm anti-Semitic hmm. for feeling that way, and, you know, all I all I can say is, I, I, I think there is so much possibility in yes. faith, but it has led to so much less than the people who created these faiths would have hoped to see. I think the supersessionism of almost every religious group has created a real problem in the world.
1: And so when you talk in this book about your experiences at UCLA, you spoke about the unofficial segregation of the team in terms of people sort of finding their like-minded people, people who look alike. Yes, you were one team on the court and on the bench, but when you were off the court, you were in sort of separate corners. Can that change today? Have you seen that change? And what can we do to help that change? Because I believe, at least as a rabbi, but a passionate fan of sports, that sports, the court, can be, in fact, a place where those differences can be put aside, but also
0: be learned so that we can understand to respect the other. I so desperately want to encourage you to continue to be optimistic and believe in what you do, because mm-hmm. I used to. Mm. But it breaks my heart to see the degree to which money has taken over sports today. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, the latest is UCLA going to the Big Ten, but it's everywhere. It's all about money and NILs and, you know, if you're not playing, you go transfer and, you know, money, 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 money. And and of course, we're all terribly colored by, you know, the the 15 people who are going to make $30 million next year, which of course is ridiculous. And I have the great good fortune of having grown up around people with enormous wealth. And what I know is they tend to be less happy than most people I've ever met in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wealth is not the key to happiness, but it's what we've been sold and what so many of us believe. And so, you know, I, I just see so much of it becoming uh, less about what you're talking about, the opportunity to cross these bridges. My, I, You know, because I played basketball, Rabbi, some of my closest friends in the world are African-American. Yes. The closest friends I have in this world. And if I hadn't played basketball, the chances of that are zero.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So it speaks to what your desire is. It speaks to what your hope is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I I don't know that I see that much of it in in the world. And, you know, it, it breaks my heart because I think that you are exactly correct that, you know, sports is an incredible vehicle to break through those bonds of ignorance that come from just not knowing people of other cultures uh, I know this is kind of a tangent, but I just read about uh, six months ago, uh, a former UCLA Bruin, Freddie Goss, uh, who's about six or seven years older than me. Freddie was there just before they started winning everything. <laughs> great, great player. But Freddie grew up in Compton. And he wrote a book about growing up in Compton with his mom and his uncle, uncle's son is his name, who was, if you take a big step back, a gangster. Mm-hmm. But in Freddie's world, he was he was in the sporting life. <laughs> you know, he was into gambling and money loaning and whatever else, right? But to think that I went to school with the same with a guy like Freddie Goss, he might as well have grown up on Mars. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But I got to go to school with guys like that and get to know them from totally different backgrounds and cultures. And, and of course, sports throws you into a world where you better forget about the things that are dividing you. If you want a chance to win, you better focus on what makes this work on the court where you're not, you know, I don't want to pass it to this guy or I don't want to block for that guy because that doesn't work. Those teams don't win. So uh, I, I salute your hope. I support your dream. And I wish I was more optimistic because as long as money runs everything, I mean, by the way, when I was growing up, once again, I sound old because I am, (laughs) gambling was a sin. Now it's big business. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Last week, our lovely neighbor across the street had her best friend over whose husband had just lost all of their money Mm. gambling on sports. Mm -hmm. Because, by the way, we know how insidious just gambling is. Right. But gambling presents itself as a game of chance. Sports betting presents itself as a game of if you really know what you're doing, how the heck can you lose? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You know that. Now, you know, my family has had a Final Four pool for the last 10 years. It has been won by the dog, (coughs) my my son's wife who doesn't know basketball but picked just by nicknames right i mean you know i went to every ucla game i've never won that's mm-hmm. sports mm-hmm. part of why we love it is because the truth of it is you can have an opinion but you don't know what's going to happen but the 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 gambling issue is going to explode in our faces wow uh, i don't know are you, do you, rabbi do you know uh, a fellow of uh, a fellow by the name of jake molinas
1: uh, i don't know him uh, if you're into the
0: world of sports, uh-huh. there was a book about him called The Wizard of Odds.
1: Oh, yes, Jake, yes, yes, of course.
0: Jake Molinas was the mastermind of the college basketball yes. gambling scandals of the 50s. Mm-hmm. And they were pikers compared to what the internet will enable today. And Someone, I'm just saying, once again, this is going to drive sports. You know, when they when they come to you and say, I want you to help me, I'm a gambler. Mm-hmm. They don't come to you and say, Rabbi, I want you to lose the game.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: They come and say, Rabbi, instead of winning by 15, how about winning by like 14 or less? Because mm-hmm. I'd never ask you to lose. And you go to a kid and you offer him a bunch of money because the truth of it is, if you know you're going to cover, it's worth putting a lot more money down and it's it'll spread like wildfire. And it breaks my heart because, of course, the people who are going to pay the price aren't the people at FanDuel and all these big companies, but these poor idiots who get caught up because they want to make a couple bucks to go home for Christmas.
1: So you mentioned something on the TEDx talk specifically about the definition of success and Webster's definition and uh, John Wooden's definition. This is what you said.
0: With Mr. Webster's definition, the attainment of money, power and fame. And yet, I had the unique opportunity to work in the entertainment industry and know that a lot of people who are rich, powerful, and famous were amongst the most miserable people I ever met in my life. <laughs> Coach's definition is different. Coach's definition is that success is, in fact, peace of mind that you only get through knowing that you've done your best to be the best that you're capable of being.
1: So, Coach wooden's definition of success, very different than the uh, ideas that we just spoke about. And however, it seems that a lot of the definition of success, we don't like to go through those challenges. So maybe speak about the definition of success that you only realized 25 years later, when you got to perhaps the pinnacle of career, your career, that you had the fear of making that phone call to coach wooden and saying, you know what, what I did in my career was because of you. And it was tough.
0: Well, you know, and and the other thing, Rabbi, that's that, that, of course, is the challenge of Coach Wooden's definition of success. Is you never get there.
1: Mm, that's very Jewish.
0: It, it's a journey, and and so, in fact, the challenge is not to. And this was a great part of his success. The challenge at that point is to take your eye off what you believe to be the destination and focus intently on what you control within the journey, mm-hmm. right? The journey is better than the end, the arrival. And that's, in fact, true. It was Coach's great insight because, of, of course, what also impacted me, it, 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 you know, he, he wasn't a Jewish guy. He was a Christian guy. I, I grew up around, you know, largely Jewish people in the west side of L.A. I was a Sinai mm-hmm. Temple member. And so it was different culturally to uh, uh, understand him and and, and, and and I learned so much from him and and at the end of the day uh, you know so much of it was just about you know understanding this this all makes you happier mm-hmm. it makes you easier to be around it makes you more optimistic. I mean of course, at this point in time, you know, once again, I, I, I did grow up in the 50s and 60s. Right. And I was taught to be nervous. Do
2: hmm.
1: you think that lesson's- is pre- uh, relevant today to young people when parents are nervous now for their own children?
0: I wish they were more nervous. Hmm. I don't think they're nervous enough. Wow. Uh, I mean, Kyrie Irving hasn't been suspended. He hasn't been fined. Mm-hmm. Anthony Edwards said some horrible homophobic things. Which, which, by the way, once again, this is an important point. You know, the great Tim Hardaway was kept out of the Hall of Fame for many, many years. But once he finally got in, he said something important that people don't like to talk about, which are those things that he said that kept him out of the Hall of Fame. He learned in church on Sunday morning. Mm. We need to talk about that. When we see the anti-Semitism here that's bubbling up, Rabbi, they learn it in church. I went one time with Coach Wooden to services because he did so many Jewish events, I felt a little guilty and thought I should go with him. (laughs) And we went to his church. And it was out in the valley, 4,000 people, a rock band, big screen TVs. It was quite a production. And there I was, the Jew in the church. And they read from Acts where Jesus went to the temple. And he wasn't well received in the temple because, of course, he went to the temple to say, I'm the son of God, which wasn't what we believed. And it felt very scary to be in that church Hmm. because they were being taught that their Lord was not well received by my people. And that never ends well. It hasn't ended well. So once again, as I say, the need for religion to recognize and accept its role in what we are seeing today is critical. I'm sure you've read Constantine's Sword. Mm -hmm. I wish more people did to understand how deeply ingrained within the church this anti-Semitism has always been historically.
1: And so when we talk about multi-faith, because I'm passionate about bringing multi-faith leaders specifically around the sports world together, that and and I just quoted this to Charles Barkley the other day, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs of Blessed Memory speaks about the dignity of difference, that there's a unity of God up there, but we have a diversity of how we worship, and we have a choice that can either be destructive or respectfully unified. And so I don't use the word interfaith anymore. I use the word multi-faith because I need to respect Mm -hmm. how one worships and I want somebody to respect how that worships me as well. Again, I go back to that same question because I'm sitting at this desk as a rabbi, not as an expert in sports, but as a kid who grew up also playing sports, who have great friends today who are not Jewish, who are not of the same race because of the baseball field and the basketball court. Back when I was in high school, I didn't play basketball on Friday night, but guess what? either did my African-American friend because he was Seventh-day Adventist. And that's the reason why we got our games changed. So I go back to that same idea. Can there be a positive? And again, I I guess I'm the optimist as a next generation. um, You seem a bit more on the pessimistic side, but I do see a moment where these ideas can come together. Not that we put away our differences, but we have the conversation of difference. Do you think that conversation can happen today?
0: I think you're making that conversation happen and we need more people like you making that conversation happen. I mean it is the ultimate tragedy of course that all of these religions if you kind of you know put up their basic ideas on a on a chalkboard mm-hmm. they're not that different really and as people let's be honest most of us really just want the same things. Yes. Yes. And, and and so yes, of course you're right. And bless you for doing the work you're doing, and get more people to do it. And I, I you know, and if I can help, let me know. But but you're, but, you're doing it with
1: me. You're, this but is you're paddling.
0: Thing. But 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 you know, it's the forces at the moment are difficult, and the wind is in your face. That doesn't mean stop running. It just means it's going to be hard.
1: Right? Can you hear me?
0: Yeah, I can hear you. I lost your beautiful face. Yeah, but, uh, no, I'll
1: we'll see that in a second. Uh, you're let's put those. Those. There you go. <laughs> into the entertainment world, because uh, you worked on the show Touched by an Angel, which was uh, obviously a legend, and it's about faith and family, and it goes right into the pyramid of success. Take the faith world into the entertainment world, and is there something that you saw that was either different or the same in that journey of yours?
0: Well, what interesting in a way, because it was really very... Totally in line, Rabbi, with everything you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was, in fact, probably the show I had more influence over than any other show I ever got or helped to get onto TV. And, you know, I thought the biggest insight was, God, we sort of all believe in God. It's just when we put on our jerseys that we start fighting with each other. Why don't we just do a show about believing in God, about believing, about a sense of belief? Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, uh, the the other thing that I kind of used as an ongoing, you may not be aware of this, but on network TV, which is fast disappearing, it used to be the theory that you needed to repeat your pilot six times, Hmm. because that's how many times you had to run it before the whole audience had a chance to sample the show. So your first six episodes, you kind of had to restate your premise, And my ongoing advice was simply this. Put a rabbi, a priest, an imam, and a monk on a couch and show them the show. I want to know they're all happy. Love it. And that's really what you're talking about, isn't it?
1: It absolutely
0: is. You know, I will say, of course, you know, I, I spent my life as a motivational speaker running into so many people who made presumptions about me and my faith based on touch by an angel they were all wrong (laughs) you -hmm. know it was always difficult to say i hope i'm not disappointing you but i'm in fact jewish because of course i thought they all should know i mean once again they should know because what you what you're trying to do is important
1: and 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 and
0: people people of faith to realize that they're in the same business and they need to cooperate
1: and I really think it's important to make that distinction that I believe a person of faith is a person of humanity and that every person that walks in these doors here at Sinai Temple, whether it's a bar mitzvah, whether it's a birth of a child, whether it's the loss of a loved one, they're all searching, as you said, for that idea of belief. What it looks mm-hmm. like may look a little, uh, a little different for everybody. But, and the same thing cross-denominationally, cross-multi-faith as well. And we each come with something individual. And you spoke in the book about, for instance, your own journey with your challenges with your father and alcoholism and sort of looking for that as well. So when somebody walks through a gymnasium, a stadium, or watches a TV show or in a sanctuary, they're all looking for something different. They're all looking for something different, but they're they're trying to get the same thing. And so how do you preach, especially as you just said, the priest, the uh rabbi and the, the mom, imam on the same couch. How do you have one message for many people in your business of uh, CBS?
0: Well, I, I, I think sort of just congregating around that core message, you know, the golden rule, mm-hmm. do unto others. You know, the Lord helps those who help themselves and, uh, you know, have faith, have a belief. And, uh, you know, I just think that that that, kind of resonates for everyone.
1: And in terms of John Wooden and his messages, do you think that there can be another John Wooden today? Is there that person that can blend different people together for that same message of balance and love? I hope so.
0: Mm -hmm. It's all I can give you. I hope so.
1: I hope so, too.
0: Because... I mean, he was, he was unique. He was one of a kind. Mm-hmm. I was unbelievably blessed to meet him as a child and then once again as a man. And, uh, you know, once again, wow, was I lucky I picked up the phone and made that call. You know, if anybody listens to this and thinks about, you know, broken relationships and people they ought to call, if they take nothing else away from it, my life changed because I made a call I desperately didn't want to make mm-hmm. to a man I hadn't spoken to in 25 years to tell him he was right and I was wrong. Wow. What a great call that was.
1: And so 25 years, maybe take us through a few of those thoughts during those 25 years. Did you ever think about Mending that relationship, or was it that moment? Oh no, I,
0: I oh no, oh no! I thought about him all the time, but I never thought about mending. Them. No, I, absolutely not. There was, you know, I, I don't know, Rabbi. Maybe it's unfair. I, you know, I, I just, you know, I mean, I was a tough Jewish kid. If somebody's messed with me, I, you know, I was messing with them. Now, what I didn't realize was, Coach wasn't messing with me. I just wasn't quite good enough. I mean, mm-hmm. in hindsight, I can see that. But at Mm -hmm. the time, part of your gift as an athlete is you have supreme confidence, whether it's, you know, whether it's whether it's right or wrong. I mean, was Henry Bibby better than me? Yeah. Heck yeah. Ask me now. I can tell you. Then ah, come on, coach, put me in. I can do it. And, uh, you know, so for me, uh, you know, what the luck of connecting with a guy like John Wooden, there was only one of him. And Mm -hmm. I I think the people who were lucky enough to get to spend time with them, that became clearer over time in their life. Mm -hmm. I think it's why for many of us, because what we realize, and Rabbi, this I'm sure, you know, this is a center of your life. It's hard to find someone who will tell you the truth. Yes. And the deeper in life you get, because life teaches you this that becomes clearer Mm -hmm. as more and more people disappoint you and they turn out not to be trustworthy. And one thing you knew about coach, he'd look you in the eye and he'd tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. And so for many of us who went back to him, because he wasn't really warm and fuzzy when we played for him, he was warm and fuzzy later. And, and, And so for many of us, when we went back to him, it was actually at a low point in our life. Oh, wow. When and by the way, this is a pattern that became clear to me as I was writing the book. I didn't really understand it initially. I mean, you know, but I'd been fired by uh, the lovely and talented Leslie Moonbez back in the news today, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, spending millions of dollars for lying and cheating, Uh, you know. But uh, whatever it took to get me to call John Wooden. You know, if it took Leslie Moonves firing me, if it took Leslie Moonves firing me, Rabbi, the worst thing that professionally ever happened in my life. And the last time I saw him, you know what I did? I thanked him. Mm -hmm. I was at a friend's wedding and I walked across the room and I'm sure he was looking at me thinking, is this guy going to hit me in the nose? (laughs) And I thanked him because one thing I know and I accept and believe powerfully is that's part of what got me where I am now. I like where I am. You can't take cards out of the deck. Don't I wish I hadn't gone to this party or I hadn't dated this guy or I hadn't done. No, 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 no. Don't, don't reshuffle. It's a whole new hand.
1: And you actually say, you actually say in the book regarding the not reshuffling magnify your blessings more than your disappointments. How can we do that today when we're so pessimistic about what's
0: happening? Wow, what a great question! And I must say, in a strange way, Rabbi, you know, I hope no one is offended by this. That 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 was sort of new information to me as a Jew. Mm-hmm. Magnify your blessings. I, I I I I that's not the way I really grew up. Right. You know, we were worried, we were guilty, we were, you know, and on Yom Kippur, we went and said, I'm sorry, I did all these bad things, and, you know, I'll try and do better, and oh my God. And and so this was kind of new information for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, A coach turned me on to a fantastic book called The Majesty of Calmness by William George Jordan. Love that. Which uh, five bucks on Amazon? I'm making a plug. I don't make any money. I've given away five hundred. You got to buy this book,
1: everybody. Yeah,
0: I don't make any money selling those either. But the Majesty of <laughs> Calmness was written in 1890, and I'm convinced it's where Coach got much of his philosophy. Oh, wow! Wow! And uh, it is so relevant, so literary, and I think it will really speak to you. But the central premise. The majesty of calmness, I mean, once again, I'm a Jewish kid who grew up in the 50s and 60s, -hmm. and I understand. I was not taught to be calm. Interesting. I was taught to be nervous, and then I'd go to school, and we'd do drop drills. Why? Because there might be a nuclear bomb. What that desk was going to do to protect me, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Confused Mm -hmm. me at the time as well, which only made me more nervous because mm-hmm. I knew that desk would protect me. The heck, right? So I got this information later in life. I think the powerful kernel in here, Rabbi, is what Coach taught us is you can change if you believe you can change. Love it, love it. That's the essential piece. Now, of course, if you accept that you can't, which many people do, hmm It's the Popeye speech. I am what I am and that's all that I am. (laughs) To which I would say, yeah, coach would punch you right in the nose. That's it. You give up. That's Uh as good as you can be. Or, oh wait a minute, maybe this is a better way. Because honestly, Rabbi, I get it why I was brought up that way. And of course, in this moment in time, I do need to continue to teach myself one day at a time. Be calm. Yes. Be calm. So true. Because we are in very choppy waters.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But what one would also tell you is that that's part of survival. You know, I, I used to go boogie boarding all the time. And, you know, one of the hardest concepts to accept is when you got wiped out and you were under the water.
2: Are you going to get what out? What do you
0: need to do? Calm down. Mm-hmm. Be still. You know nature will tell you which way is up, but be yeah. calm. And, and, and I have continued to try to learn that, but it is a day by day process. And I think that's part of what Coach's genius was
2: mm-hmm.
0: was under. Well, make each day your masterpiece.
2: That. Your
0: masterpiece is you. Your masterpiece. Is a painting that's up on the wall that for many of us, when they get to the later years in their life, they sit back in their barca lounger and go, oh, looks pretty good to me. Mm-hmm. Right? What Coach was saying is, no, 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 you can make that better. Go and put some color over there. You know, change that over there. And you can change that. And he did it till the day he died. That's who he was.
1: Kept well, changing. He- and he talks about the difference between a good mistake and a bad mistake. You mention Yom Kippur. I'm sorry, I do better, I do better. You keep mentioning about the belief to change, and if you can believe, then you can change. What is the difference between a good mistake and a bad mistake? And can something like we're seeing right now, which is, I don't want to call it a mistake, but something bad, can that be changed to something good?
0: Well, oh. of course it can. Uh, of course it can. Uh, uh, but I saw Kyrie's press conference.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Uh, yeah. You know, which which most people have not seen.
1: Oh, yep. And from your That's response, anything. I can
0: tell that you have seen. Yes. And I've read his non-apology apology, mm-hmm. and I don't accept it.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: What he mm-hmm. put out was vile, anti-Semitic filth that mm-hmm. got my relatives put in ovens. It ain't mm-hmm. funny, and I don't accept it. Mm-hmm. And the league needs to come down on this guy. And he doesn't accept it because I saw him at that press conference and he was right. arrogant, yep. combative, and ignorant.
1: Mm-hmm. And if that happened on John Wooden's team, what would have been the consequence? What would have been the conversation? You, the fact that you said Kareem was the, one of the first people to actually speak up. He was just honored, by the way, at the Wiesenthal Center in Toronto last week. And amazing, amazing. Was he? Event. Great.
0: Fantastic.
1: Great. Um why, why did he do that? Is it because of something that he learned on the court with you?
0: Well, I, I mean, you know, I think part of Coach's genius, uh, and uh, I will say this, I I was always somewhat offended that Coach never called him Kareem. He always wanted to call him Lewis because he thought mm-hmm. it was kind of funny. I, I didn't think it was funny. It wasn't Coach's mm-hmm. brightest moment. Mm-hmm. But this used to frustrate people when I would, you know, go out and make speeches was that, you know, Coach was not – evangelical. Coach lived his life as a Christian. Mm -hmm. It was a powerful example to me, Rabbi. I thought, wow, that looks pretty good. Mm -hmm. But he never said, you know, you ought to try this. It'd be better for you.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, the fact that, you know, when he had a memorial service, you know, he had Muslim speakers at his memorial service. Well, what does that tell you?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: This was a man who had his faith who accepted that some people had other faiths.
1: Yes, yes, and, that is and one. that
0: is that is key. Absolutely so that there was space for a brilliant intellectual man like Kareem mm-hmm. to leave the Christian faith,
2: mm-hmm.
0: which for many Christians was an act of. Total betrayal.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: to John wouldn't accept it. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know how he became that way. What what in his upbringing made him that way? I mean, keep in mind Martinsville, Indiana. That's, that's Ku Klux Klan yeah. territory. Yep. Yep. People think you know they 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 don't understand the Midwest particularly. We're not good at geography. <laughs> you know Martinsville, Indiana. Ooh, wow. How did John Wooden? Turn out to be John Wooden. I I I I don't really know, but that's why I say when you say, "Will there be another one?" Who knows? I I mean, you know, this was guy who was Michael Jordan in his time.
1: Mm-hmm. And was you know there the ever time
0: record for the most free throws made in a row in competition?
1: Who is that? Is it John Wooden?
0: John Wooden. Wow. Now I don't know if the number is like 136 or 138. Underhanded. Uh huh. Uh huh. Paying. Playing for Kutsky's grocers. Mm-hmm. John, uh,
1: Two last questions. The first, did you have a Jewish role model in the sports world growing up? Was it a Dolph Shays, who, by the way, I grew up with as a neighbor of mine, lovely, lovely man of blessed memory? Or was it somebody just out of the sports that you said, you know what? I'm a Jew living in West LA, but I can play for UCLA. Was there somebody that you said, you know, I can do this today? It's Tommy Goodman. It's Ryan Terrell, who's just in the G League this coming Friday. Was there somebody in that world or did you separate those two worlds?
0: I separated the worlds completely. I, 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 and I'll tell you the shocking moment when I was completely knocked off of that separation, you know, because if I playing basketball in L.A., Rabbi, you know, there, there weren't lots of Jewish guys playing, but there were Jewish guys on my high school team. And, uh, you know, the idea of playing at UCLA didn't occur to me until I was a senior in high school. That was so far out of my vision. I can't believe. Uh, it ever happened so no mm-hmm. i grew up uh, you know i i grew up idolizing elgin baylor mm-hmm. and uh and 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 jerry west but i'll tell you what made all the difference in the world is there was a dude named sandy koufax pitching mm-hmm. for the dodgers mm-hmm. and you know what he said he said to me you can be anything you want to be i mean think about it sandy koufax said that to he- you,
1: you, when you met him you had him and, and said
0: that. No, I did not meet him. I wish I had met Sandy. I met pretty much everybody in the world I ever wanted to meet, but I never met Sandy, and I I wish I had because he did. That 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 did, I think, change my life. Because think about it, in many ways, it not just was he the best. Mm -hmm. You know, Jewish pitcher. He's going to throw off-speed stuff and throw him in the dirt, and you know, scuff the ball up. And no, no, no. He was blown it by him. He was a power pitcher. Sandy was the man. And, you know, to grow up when a guy like that was, uh, you know, pitching for the Dodgers. And then I did have the good fortune of meeting as a youngster, the great Hank Greenberg. Mm, Nice. Who hit 58 home runs for the Detroit Tigers. And and, and as we both know, faced tremendous anti-Semitism during his career. But uh, you know they, and, and I would say Sandy and Hank, in in the sense that you're talking about, yes, uh, you know I wasn't a baseball guy, so that mm-hmm. really what you know, well I want I wasn't a big Dolph Shays guys. I gotta I gotta be honest, you know I, <laughs> I like the guys who were hooping for the Lakers, and, and the Bruins, of course, because you know when I turned 13 years old, 1963, they had Gail Goodrich and Walt Hazard and went 30 and 0, and boy, talk about hooking a guy with a big hook, mm-hmm. woo. That was it for me.
1: And so the last question combines two questions. The first is there's 21 chapters of here of the amazing lessons of the pyramid of success. Which of those would you choose to come into our school of Sinai Akiba Academy and our Sinai temple religious school and say, kids, you're living in West LA as proud Jewish kids who love the game of basketball. Might not ever get to UCLA to play on the Bruins court or even the Trojans down the street or whatever you go, but Which one of these lessons are we teaching our young Jewish kids today based on the world?
0: You know I'm not going to tell you one. You know that. You know I'm going to tell you there are 21 lessons in there, and I'm a teacher, and I'm not skipping lessons. I live right up the street from Sinai Temple. I'll come back as many times as you want. I'll volunteer to speak to any group you have. There are 21 lessons, Rabbi. You don't read one half Torah, you oh, keep going. That.
1: I so, love that. I love that. If John
0: Wooden, you either take it all or don't start.
1: And that is such an important lesson here on Rabbi on the sidelines. That's why we do this every single week, speaking to so many different people in the sports world, in the faith world, because as you knew, as I as you joked with me last night, when I sent you 20 questions, you said it's eight hours, but one question leads to so many different questions that I didn't even know that I had in my mind. And so, Andy Hill, we are so thrilled for you to be a guest and rabbi on the sidelines. Make sure you grab a copy of this. Be Quick, But Don't Hurry by Andrew Hill and John Wooden. Truly an amazing, amazing, uh, not just a guest, but as we like to say here, a wonderful mensch. Andy, it's so great to have you, and we look forward to seeing you soon.
0: Rabbi, a pleasure. Give me a shout I'll by your lunch.
1: Amen. Thanks. Have All a great right. day, everybody.
0: Well,